Hello and welcome to Truth Talks, brought to you by South African author, theologian and church leader, Dr. Christopher Pepler. King of Kings, Reflections on the Coronation of Charles III. On Saturday the 6th of May 2023, my wife Pat joined 12 other ladies to watch the coronation. I wasn't particularly interested myself, but back home, I decided to catch the start of the pageant to see what all the fuss was about. And within a few minutes, it hooked me in, and I viewed it all from start to finish. And it got me thinking about the parallels between the King of England and the King of Kings. Well, you know, talk about the greatest show on earth. Well, this was it. From the superb organization and precise orchestration right through to the uniforms, golden coaches and magnificent trumpets. However, it was more than this. It was also moving in parts, joyfully solemn, but most of all it was God-honoring. Right at the outset, a young boy presented himself before the king and addressed him with, Your Majesty, as children of the kingdom of God, we welcome you in the name of the King of Kings. This set a tone of reverence that continued throughout the service. For instance, a church leader presented a new Bible to Charles with the words, Sir, to keep you ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as the rule of the whole life and government of Christian princes. Receive this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the living oracles of God. Another example is the oath that Charles swore on the Bible. Here is an excerpt from that part of the ceremony. The king kneels at the chair of his states, and the archbishop says, Will you to the uttermost of your power maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel? Will you to the utmost of your powers maintain in the United Kingdom the Protestant Reformed religion established by law? Will you maintain and preserve inviolably the settlement of the Church of England and the doctrine, worship, discipline and government thereof, as by law established in England? And will you preserve unto the bishops and clergy of England and to the churches there committed to their charge all such rights and privileges as by law do or shall appertain to them or any of them? The king replies, All this I promise to do. Okay, so in this Truth Talk, I want to compare six aspects of the coronation of Charles with the coronation of Jesus 2,000 years earlier. Then I want to apply these six aspects to the life of us ordinary, though not less royal, disciples of the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, Jesus. It starts with the King of England arriving at Westminster Cathedral in a golden carriage pulled by six magnificent horses and accompanied by lords, ladies and high-ranking soldiers. The throng of humanity watching from the sidelines cheered and waved and the greeting party at the entrance bowed their heads before the king as he alighted and stepped onto the red carpet leading into the chapel. Two millennia ago, the King of Kings, Jesus of Nazareth, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, the humblest of beasts. He wore no golden livery, nor was his borrowed donkey decked out in any way. Yet the crowds watching 
knew what was happening. They gathered palm branches and spread them on the road before the approaching king, and some even laid down their cloaks. The great crowds that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's John 12, verses 12 to 13. From the time of King David, people waved palm branches as a sign of victory and honor. And spreading garments before someone to walk over was a powerful sign of submission and respect, usually reserved for a king. Now, one of the most impressive moments for me at Charles's coronation was the anointing ceremony. This is the order of service at this point in the proceedings. The king is divested of the robe of state and moves to sit in the coronation chair. The anointing screen, borne by representatives of the household division, is then held around the coronation chair. The choir sings, Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anointed Solomon king. And all the people rejoiced and said, God save the king, long live the king, may the king live forever, alleluia, amen. The archbishop then anointed the king with special oil prepared in Jerusalem and flown for the occasion. Jesus, on the other hand, was anointed by the Holy Spirit of God when he rose out of the waters of baptism. Peter later remarked on this with the words, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. That's Acts 10.38. And when he started his three and a half year ministry, Jesus attested to this by quoting from the prophet Isaiah. He read this from the book. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You can read that in Luke 4, verses 18 to 21. One of the first things presented to the newly anointed King Charles as part of his investiture is the heavily bejeweled sword of offering as a symbol of justice and mercy. Jesus Christ did not carry a sword at any time during his time on earth. But a, a vision in the book of Revelation pictures Jesus as having a sharp, double-edged sword proceeding from his mouth. In Revelation 1.16, that is. Later, in chapter 18, verses 1 to 16, Jesus' ultimate triumph is described as follows. I saw heaven and earth standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of the mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. 
he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. After the presentation of the sword, the Archbishop invests the king with the robe royal and the stone royal with the words, Receive this robe. May the Lord clothe you with the robe of righteousness and the garments of salvation. Jesus, on the other hand, was not invested but divested of his one-piece linen garment before the soldiers mocked him by draping a scarlet robe over his shoulders. The high point of the ceremony was when the archbishop placed the crown on Charles's head to cries of, God bless the king. That crown alone is valued at somewhere between three and five billion pounds. Well, for South Africans listening to me now, that is around about now at this time, and I'll have to kind of spell this out. 94-839-400-000,000. That many rands. And by the way, the scepter of the king that the king carried with its cullen and diamond is worth about half a billion pounds alone. But Jesus' crown was made of wickedly sharp thorns, woven together by the Roman soldiers and rammed onto his head. And when Charles was crowned, his son kissed him on the cheek. But when Jesus was crowned, they struck him through the face and plucked out parts of his beard. So the coronation of King Charles III was a glorious affair, while the coronation of King Jesus was ignoble to humans yet unspeakably glorious to the angels of heaven. Now, what can we draw from these comparisons to apply to our lives? Well, King Charles began his coronation journey at Buckingham Palace and ended at Westminster Chapel. Jesus began his coronation journey at the entrance of Jerusalem and ended at Golgotha. We start our life journey at birth. And it ends after physical death when we stand before the throne of Jesus in the New Jerusalem. We travel not in the golden carriage, nor even on a humble donkey, but on foot, burdened with the vicissitudes of life. Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. King Charles was anointed by expensive oil mixed in Jerusalem. Jesus was anointed with the oil of the Holy Spirit, and so are we. Charles' anointing was symbolic, but Jesus' was alive and effective, as is the anointing we receive. Now, it is God who makes both of us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us and he set his seal of ownership and has put his spirit on our hearts as a deposit and guarantee of what is to come. That's in Coronations 2, sorry, <laughs> not Coronations, 2 Corinthians 1, 21-22. King Charles had a dual sword when seated upon his throne. Jesus referred to himself when he dictated to John that his words are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. 
And we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, as faithfully recorded in the Bible in Ephesians 6, verse 17. For the word of God is active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Hebrews 4. This is 12 to 13. King Charles was clothed in golden robes with ermine trim. Jesus was clothed during his time of earth in a simple robe, but is now clothed in light and glory. We are clothed with power from on high. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. 1 John 2.20 King Charles received a royal crown of gold, silver and jewels. Jesus currently sits enthroned in heaven, crowned with all glory and majesty. We bear on our heads the invisible crown of righteousness, representing our right standing with God. 2 Timothy 4.8 And James wrote, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, that God has promised to those who love him. You know, I think the best way that I can end a talk like this is to present you with a vivid biblical picture. The coronation of King Charles was indeed a spectacular event, but it pales into near insignificance in the light of the heavenly reality we will one day perceive. Here is what God showed John, the Revelator. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and cornelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing, and these are the seven spirits of God. And also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion, and the second was like an ox, and the third had the face of a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings, and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. All of that you'll find in Revelation 4, verses 2 to 11. Then the angel showed me a river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God, and the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. 
The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign for ever and ever. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. May God bless you. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Truth Talks from Truth is the Word Ministry. If you'd like to share your views, read up on related topics, or purchase one of Dr. Pepler's books, please visit his blog on truthistheword.com. And remember, truth talks.